0: Hello, and welcome back to Force for Thought. Today, Luke is going rogue.
1: Luke, what are you going rogue about? Today, I am going rogue about Phase 1 of The High Republic. (music) The High Republic, Phase 1, started in January of 2021. It is a publishing initiative spearheaded by Michael Siglain, a a creative director over at uh, Lucasfilm Publishing, where he brought in five authors to tell a cohesive, large-scale story in the Star Wars universe. So to do so, they didn't want to be binded by the stories we already know and the characters we already have, so they went to a new era, the High Republic era. It takes place 200 years before the Skywalker saga. So there are some returning characters, Yoda's in it, some other old characters, Maz Kanata, etc., And they're able to bring in a whole cast of brand new characters, though, that don't have any plot armor, don't have any preconceived notions about them. The villain is able to be something completely new and different. It's not just the Sith. It's not just Dark Side Force users. They did something unique and original. And it is a very good opportunity to tell original Star Wars stories, which we've had a lot of in the past, but we've also had a lot of... Just a Tarkin book, and just a Phasma book, and these stories that just fill in small gaps in the timeline that we already have, Mm -hmm. and it's so refreshing to have an entire new era that the story can just go wherever it is going to go naturally. Absolutely. So, phase one, so the Higher Public is structured in three phases. Phase one, two, and three. Phase one started in uh, January of 2021, and then it went uh, back in time for phase two, which uh, just wrapped up recently. And then phase three starts in the fall where they're going to go after phase one. So it's very similar to the um, Skywalker Saga trilogy where you have the original trilogy and then the prequels and then sequels. So right oh, now I'm only talking about phase neat. one, which is the original trilogy, so to speak. Um, the middle one. Exactly. And it does kind of um, work like a trilogy because the phase phase one is re- was released in three waves. And each wave had an adult book, a young adult book, a middle grade book and a children's book. So there were three sets of four books. The children's book and the adult book are the same story, just adapted for whichever audience. So those aren't unique stories, but it's nice that they're able to include stories for everyone by doing that. So you can share these stories with your kids. You can, it's not just for kids because there's adult novels, it's Star Wars for all ages in a way that we've never really seen before. Cause you know, the clone wars is a kid's show, no matter how much we try to say it's not because it's also made for older audiences, but there's so many things that in it that are beyond the shadow of a doubt, just kids content. Mm-hmm. And so this, they really get to have their cake and eat it too by doing it this way. So there's 12 books. We'll, we'll say nine books because the children's books are the same. Um, there are three, four Five comic series, as well as two volumes of a manga and an audio drama. So while I would love to go into detail about every single one of these stories and talk about why they're great and which ones I love and which ones not so much, that's just too much content to get through in one rogue session. So
0: And I like the little dimes that you drop throughout all of our other episodes, too, where we start talking about something and you say, well, you know... In the High Republic, and then you go off for about 10 minutes in your own world. So I I, I like that. I like that.
2: It ends always the same. Again, you should
1: read the High Republic. Yes, (laughs) you should. I am officially hanging up that hat, though, because if you haven't by now, you're not going to, and I'm about to spoil all of it anyway. But Phase 3 starts in November, and after you listen to this episode of this podcast, you will be ready to jump into Phase 3. So come November, you'll have no reason to say no when I ask you to read the book that comes out. And this doesn't just go for the two of you. I'm talking to every single person listening right now. We can all read it together, and we're going to love it. I feel
2: feel
0: personally attacked. Don't
2: we need the
1: information on Phase 2, which Uh, is not in this episode?
0: But it's the prequel, though. So you could go from one to three, theoretically. It's it's
1: debatable whether you need the information from base two. I mean, do you need the information from the prequels if you're going to watch the sequels? How much better is it, though?
0: You should, but...
1: You should, but you don't need it. You're right, (laughs) you're right. Um, So, I'm not going to go into detailed plot synopsis of every single story. I just want to talk about why I love it so much. Because it's not just that it's Star Wars. Because there's Star Wars all over the place, and I do love it all, but the High Republic holds a very special place in my heart. And I've talked before... Quite a bit about how my favorite part of Star Wars is the lore. And that's what really makes the High Republic shine so brightly for me. There is a lot of new stuff introduced. And some of it, they swing for the fences. And it's really crazy. And it just hits. Like, they swing for the fences and they make a home run. Um, the be- Probably my favorite single thing that the High Republic introduced was the personal relationship that every Jedi has with the Force. They go into a lot of detail about... The, I mean, the whole era is about the Jedi. It's There are other non-Jedi, non-Force user characters, but they all take a backseat. It's it's basically all about Jedi, which is right up my alley. And it goes into detail about how every Jedi experiences the Force because it's not all the same. The main character in the first uh, adult novel, Avar Chris, hears the song of the Force. They She hears the force like audibly and she can hear other people singing the uh, singing the song of the force and she can communicate with them across distances because it's like a communal thing for her elzar man uh another character from the adult books views it as an ocean deep and vast and if you go too far you could tap into something extra dangerous but it's all connected belzettifar sees it as a fire uh spark in himself that sometimes is an inferno sometimes it's barely a flame uh Buriaga is a wookie jedi he sees it as a tree which connects to the lore about Kashik of what we know because of that uh bad batch episode where um oh what's the wookie in the clone wars uh um, gunji 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 yeah. whatever you like to say uh or no it is uh, confirmed one way or the other i think it is gunji but he he connects to the tree on Kashik, and that is a very wookie thing and The branches sprawl out across all this different space, and there are different paths that the branches take, and it's very deeply rooted, but it's all one tree. Stellangios sees a galaxy, a constellation of stars that are all seemingly random, but if you look closer, they're all connected, they're all in the same tapestry. Ram Jamaran sees a machine, complex and confusing, but if you take the time to understand, you can see all the different parts working together for a common purpose. And those are just the ones I'm able to list off the top of my head, more or less. And there are so many more Jedi that have different and unique understanding of the force. And it really opens the door for the way I understand the force. I mean, not in our world, but the way I choose to watch any star Wars piece of content and the way that they're interacting with the Force, it gets completely different from one person to the next. And it really makes me think about it. And it kind of recontextualizes all of the star Wars that I watch.
2: I, honestly really love that i did not know i've only w- read one book in the high republic and i really have enjoyed it but then i went to grad school and then i basically just did not read for two years um <laughs> but i i that's something that i've always like struggled with a little bit with a jedi which is just one big thing and then it's like everyone has to view it the same way you or if it's not if it's not right but i really like that the high republic does that because it got to read it does recontextualize things. And not only that, it makes a lot more sense of why Jedi can be so vastly different from each other. Obviously, you have, like, their fighting stance or their kyber crystal color, right? But, like, this is just another thing to be able to really push it over the edge, which is really, really cool. Going back real quick for one second, did you say the guy's name is Ram Jam? Ram Jamaram. There is no way they weren't listening to Black Betty. That song, <laughs> who,
1: who is sung by Ram Jam?
0: Ram Jam.
1: Yeah, that's pretty similar. There's
0: no way. <laughs> I I wonder Ram if that's come
1: Jammer up right. in an interview. I've I've listened to it. Uh, it was a uh, character from Daniel Jose Older, one of the five authors, and I wonder if he's talked about. If that.
2: If he's the age of like 42 <laughs> to like 52, I guarantee. <laughs>
1: I'd guess right around there. This um, is all Led
2: Zeppelinstein. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Another great addition to the lore is the Republic. The Republic is the same Republic that we see in the prequels, but it's not bogged down by corruption like in the prequels. It is the Republic as it's meant to be, at the height of their idealism and prosperity. And it's a very stark contrast to the prequels where, you know, uh, Shmi Skywalker says, the Republic doesn't exist out here. Well, the whole inciting incident, uh, not the inciting incident, but like the mantra of the republic in this era is we are all the republic and they're trying to expand into the outer rim and bring all of these uncolonized kind of uh, outside the civilization outer rim territories into the republic and bring law and order and prosperity to all of them and share their wealth so that motto we are all the republic comes up all the time Captain Bright is a relatively minor character in terms of the entire era because he dies about 100 pages into the first book, but I have to talk about him because he's the only Natalan that I can really think of in this era, and I Mm. love the Natalans. And for the first time in an actual canon story, he uses his empathic abilities from his head tentacles to actually assist with his communication skills and rescuing people because that's an ability that Natalans can have based on you know, uh, RPG rulebook and uh, Wikipedia articles, but it's never really come up in-universe. And it actually comes up, and it's he's um trying to save people from the Great Disaster in Book 1. So I, I know I'm going to have to explain the plot, but I don't want to get bogged down too much by mm-hmm. just explaining the plot. But basically, the first wave is all about the Great Disaster. There's a ship traveling through hyperspace, and it collides with another ship in hyperspace and it explodes and it's a massive problem because it starts entering real space at hyperspace speeds and it's basically about to hold a maneuver a thousand different places at random wherever it comes out. So um, it, the majority of the ship is entering the Hetzal system where the Jedi are tasked to go and help, which, what does that even mean? I mean, there's a ship coming at 90% the speed of light and it's going to crash into the planet and destroy it and the jedi just go to help they don't know they don't have a plan of attack they don't have any realistic capabilities to stop this crisis from happening but they just go and you know they figure it out along the way and there's a really great moment where bel zedafar who's a human padawan who's in the era a lot he's a kind of a main character and his master loden great which this is the first instance of a main character padawan having a master If you're a master to a Padawan that's, like, a main character, look out, because death is coming for (laughs) you. I'm I'm pretty sure every single named Jedi master where the Padawan is even kind of a main character, they die early. And so it's a bummer, but Loden Greatstorm is, like, one of the greatest of the order, and he's charismatic and likable, and everyone loves him, and Belle asks, like, what are we going to do? They're flying down to Hetzel as... And the book is uh, structured. And it's like ninety minutes to impact, and seventy minutes to impact, and it's like twenty minutes to impact. And they're going down to the surface. And Bell is like, "What are we gonna do?" And Loden just says, "Whatever the Force wills." And they go and save a couple people. I mean, it, it was relatively a lot, like maybe a couple hundred, but from one like colony, one town on a whole planet, like over the course of the entire disaster, that is insignificant. But the Jedi are just going. To protect any and save anyone they can, even if it's just one person, because it's not about saving everyone; it's about saving one person. And if you could do that, if you can save just one person, then you have to. So they would pull the lever if they were on track.
0: <laughs> the trolley problem. The, yeah,
1: the trolley problem.
2: They're on a trolley. And there are six people in front of you. They would pull the lever. Then made that conscious
1: decision. That's interesting because I don't think they would pull the lever. I think they would leave the lever. And let it kill the six people than pulling the lever and killing the one person. Because I thought about that a lot. You're right. Because I myself would pull the lever and kill the one person instead of the six. But the Jedi, the means justifying the ends is kind of a muddy area. Because the ends of a Jedi's mission is kind of the means. Because they're just there to protect light and life. And if they ever do anything so as to not protect light and life, it's like that's their, that's the end game. is, And they're already sacrificing it. And so it's not like the... End is greater than the sum of its parts for Jedi because mm-hmm. if you do one thing down the wrong path, then you're going down that wrong path maybe forever.
2: I don't want to get to tear too far, but what if that one person on that trolley in your scenario was George Lucas, and it's 1976? <laughs> well, I've already <laughs>
1: talked. I I would I would pull the lever because I don't care about going to the dark side. No, no, no.
2: <laughs> but it's George Lucas. <laughs> <in that laughs>
0: So what happened when this ship hit the, the planet at light speed? Did the Was it just like an asteroid like wiping out half the planet or what?
1: Um, if it did make contact, it would be like an asteroid wiping out an entire planet. It would be like the Hold'em maneuver going into a planet. Ooh. But the Jedi are able to... Avar Chris is able to lead... Uh, she kind of does like a battle meditation, kind of like Bastila Shan from Knights of the Old Republic, where she's able to like group all the Jedi together, not physically, but through the force and able to communicate to them to achieve a single goal. And they tried to move the largest fragment out of the path of the sun. Cause I think it was going to destroy the sun and it would oh. obliterate the entire system. Yeah. And so there's like a really great moment in the light of the Jedi where all these Jedi are trying to do this one thing and it's crazy strenuous. And a lot of them get Luke Skywalker'd and they die from the sheer exhaustion of exerting yourself this much for, through the force, but they Whoa. end up actually moving it. And, Avar Chris is named the Hero of Hetzal, and she's like a superstar now because she led this great relief effort and saved all these countless lives. And so she is now like the face of the Jedi, and everyone knows her. She gets named the Marshal of Starlight Beacon, which Starlight Beacon is uh, a space station sent out by the Republic into the Outer Rim to be... Their presence there it improves communications and medical and food supplies to worlds that num- normally didn't have much and it's a very ambitious goal set by the republic to have this massive presence in the outer rim and avar chris is the marshal of it and so she's like kind of in charge of it because the first marshal of it jorah who is a togruda jedi master who had a super sick design and i'm kind of bummed she died right away because she looked so cool but Her Padawan, Ruth Silas, is a main character, so of course she died in the (laughs) first book. But she was going to be the Marshal, and then um, the Marshal position was up for grabs, and they named Avar because she was the hero of Hetzel, and she had such a claim to fame in the Outer Rim where she was presiding over. There are a lot of new creatures introduced in the High Republic, which is tough to do in books because... It's just an explanation, but that's part of what makes The High Republic so great, is that these stories are told seamlessly in tandem as books and comics and audio dramas. So you see these characters in a comic, and or these creatures in a comic, and they look really cool, and then you read about them in a book, and you can like see how the characters experience them and like what the characters actually think about them and then you can hear them in the audio drama and it all just mel- melds together in this perfect symphony and you understand these characters so much better and these creatures have such a clearer picture in your head mm-hmm. there are steelies which are steel horses which is one of the things i like most when star wars or avatar the last airbender does it a lot too they take a normal thing and just put one little twist on it and make it so uniquely this world's yeah like an iron horse it's that's so cool and like when it's galloping it's like making sparks on the floor and it can hmm. magnetize and like go up cliffs and stuff it's a really interesting idea there's char hounds which is a uh, belzettifar's companion it's a uh, basically just a fire-breathing dog acts just like a dog but it's made of fire sometimes and it can warm it has like a unique warmth properties and it can breathe fire and it's really cool and then there's the villain creatures there are two the drengir and the shrikarei Shik- shrikarei the drengir are in the beginning of the era they are kind of kind of a side villains kind of a side quest sort of if you look at the era as a whole but they are kind of tree carnivore things that are like plant-based and they um but they're also like kind of zombies where they infect uh people and then they take them over and then they can possess them and they can spread really, really vast distances because of that property. Um, and then there's the Shrikare, which are, we don't know much about them. They're, are, they're like kind of lion-looking things. They're like four-legged uh, beasts that have like long tentacles and or tendrils. But we never really get a good look at them because they have the very unique ability to kill force users. And they, just by like being in the vicinity of a Shrikare, a force user will become overwhelmed with fear, and crumble down. And eventually they'll become petrified, turn to stone, and then dust. So it literally kills them just by being near them. Is that okay. the same
0: thing as the Nameless?
1: Yes, that they eventually get named. Uh, it's debatable whether they're actually named that because the phrase Karay comes from the Trail of Shadows comic book, which was released later in the uh, phase. That is about Jedi investigator Emmerich Kafter, who is tasked by Stellan Gios, who's the um, Council Jedi Council go-to guy for public relations, basically. But... PR. <laughs> I mean, it sounds lame, because he is the main character, but he's, he's on the Jedi Council, and he's the one that ends up having to effectively do everything in the Outer Rim. And so he, he tasks Emmerich Kafter with uh, looking into this beast that turned Loden Great Storm to dust. Bell's master. It's super sad. He gets turned to dust just by being near this nameless monster. And so, Emmerich Kafter goes and starts investigating, and as soon as they start investigating, he and Stellan start humming a nursery rhyme about Shriekare. And they're both like, why are we humming this all of a sudden? And they remember it's because it ends with, you'll do what you can, you'll do what you must, but in the end, all you'll be is dust. And so, that reminded them, and then they have this really scary flashback of them being kids in the jedi uh temple and this scary nursery lady would come and sing that song if you weren't sleeping when you should be and there's like this really scary image in the comic of them emmerich and stellan being like wide awake in bed scared and there's this really scarily designed uh nursery lady singing that nursery rhyme and then so emmerich looks into that she he finds out that she's from dalma and That's what Phase 2 is all about. They go back in time to Dalna, and you learn about these uh, nameless monsters, and that's a whole thing that I won't get into, but he learns that they're called Shriekare. And part of what... Another example of what makes this era flow so seamlessly together is that nursery rhyme is also... You can hear it in the one audio drama, but that audio drama was released four months prior to that comic coming out. So when you listen to the audio drama, it means nothing, but then... (laughs) It, mm. once you see the comic it all connects and there's no way like no other media really does that where it lays these kind of Easter these breadcrumbs like we always say but I mean that's not even a breadcrumb they just like drop a loaf of bread and then make a sandwich with it later. The last thing I'll say about the lore is that there are new ships which is also tougher to do even with comics and books because it's just the look of them and you got to see it from all angles and you know the Millennium Falcon, is so cool because it looks and sounds so cool and like the way the characters interact with it. So there's nothing really like the millennium Falcon. The closest thing would be the vessel, which is operated by three non Jedi characters, but they just keep, you know, getting into the mix of things. And so they're in it a good amount and they're all really interesting characters. I love all three of them and their ship is the vessel and it's their home. They have to, it's a very millennium Falcon kind of story where they have to like, they fight over it and they have to save it a couple times um, but the vessel is a very cool and new ship, and the most incident, exciting thing about it is that it is navigated by a Vincian, which is a new alien design for the Higher Republic, which is a rock. And it is, for all intents and purposes, just a rock. Whenever you see the this character, his name is Geode, he is just sitting there. He doesn't talk. He doesn't move. He is literally a rock. But the way the characters interact around him implies that he's real, and so you know from what happens that he does move and he does interact with things. You just never see it. And it's so funny reading it. And they always have like a very unique way of talking about it where something like makes sense if it was like an actual human, let's say, that the human would do the same thing. But because it's a rock, it, you, you get a laugh out of it. Like there, there are lines, you know, Geode remained next to her, for which Afi was grateful. It helped to have someone to lean on. But he's a rock, <laughs> so he's just he's just there. <laughs> that's literally a thing to lean on
2: when i was reading at first i was like am i am i interpreting this correctly yeah and you are
0: i remember in star wars celebration in anaheim we saw a couple of people who cosplayed as geode yeah they were just a rock and they would just sit there just a giant slab
1: um but they the whole era is very seamless and so claudia gray introduced geode and created the Vincian, and then Kevin Scott, who made the audio drama, uh, includes like bits about it, and he the audio drama has a line. It's like squeezing blood from a Vincian, which is like Jeez. it's like squeezing juice from a stone or whatever that actual expression is. <laughs> but I love it when they take a normal our world expression and yeah. just make it like, a little bit Star Wars. That's great. Uh, and then the last ship that I want to talk about in the High Republic is the Vector, and that is the coolest one. That is the Jedi starfighter of the area of the era. And it is uniquely Jedi because it does not have, it has very minimal computer assistance. It is designed to transmit every shake and bump directly to the pilot. It doesn't have any stabilizers because the force is what's flying the ship. And the Jedi is working, is flying the ship through, uh, by channeling the force. But it's not a computer. It's not something any other non force user could fly because it's so rudimentary, but when a Jedi flies it, it's so precise and uniquely um, able to do things that no other ship could, because it's not powered by the same computer programs that power the other computers, or power the other ships. And so, whenever the vectors come around, it's a really exciting time. And the coolest part, just visually, is that the, and (coughs) lore-wise, the weapons systems on the vectors are powered by the Jedi's lightsaber. So, You won't be able to have access to the weapons if you don't have a lightsaber, for one. And when the Jedi do use the weapons, the blasters are in the color of their lightsabers. That's cool. So it's so awesome when, like, five vectors are firing in blue, green, yellow, and purple.
0: That is cool. Did they ever get into trouble at a point where the Jedi who was flying the ship
1: died or something and everyone's just kind of stranded because no one else knows how to fly it? Um, no, because even if that did happen, there's, uh, the story's all about Jedi all the time. So there would be another Jedi right there. But mm. there is an instance where a single Jedi is flying two of them at the same time. One exclusively with the Force; she's not even in the in the cockpit. That is cool. <coughs> so the lore is what really is the the glue that hold that binds me to the High Republic. Is what makes me love it so much. And then there's the characters that are just a whole other beast because. It's a whole era. There are, like I said, nine books, five comics, an audio drama. There's so many characters, and they all have unique character arcs over the course of all their stories, and because they're all different, I mean, you can't tell the same story over and over, so there is something for everyone, again, in The High Republic. Avar Chris, the main character in the first couple books and throughout the comics, has a great character arc on Obsession, where she is the hero of Hetzal, and she's... uh, marshal of starlight beacon and then they're trying to trace down the nile who are the ones that caused the great disaster the they're basically um space pirates and she's chasing them down and she thinks she knows who their leader is and she doesn't and she starts falling to the dark side trying to chase down lorna d who she thinks is the leader of the nile and she's wrong and she uh falls to the dark side she loses her position as marshal of starlight beacon because she's obsessed with finding lorna d and then she finally captures lorna d and comes back and starlight beacon is falling apart literally being exploded because she wasn't there to protect it because she was obsessed with this other thing and because so because the
0: real leader of the nile was a character named marchion Rowe, right yes and So I think that one I'm familiar with. This, I think you're getting into some of the comics now, because I haven't read any of the books in the High Republic. I've only read the comics, which I've said before, definitely feels like you're missing a big part of it, because they mention the Great Disaster in the comics, but they don't go into any of that detail that you told me about. But the comics do go into great detail about Starlight Beacon and what happens to it.
1: Yes. Um, And so Avar is a comic character throughout most of the era, or most of the phase, and so I'm not surprised that you're more familiar with her, but she's a really interesting character. And she just kind of pops up in these other stories and you get like a little beat of where she is currently in the comics. It's like, Oh, I wish Avar was here. And she's like, yeah, but she's dealing with the Drengear and you can go read the comics. If you want to hear the rest of that story. That's
2: very cool. I, I love how this is structured. Cause I feel like this is something that like, I almost wish the the, the shows or the, and the movies begin to start implementing where there is a set structure and you were, being like, okay, in this phase of whatever, there's going to be three TV shows and there's going to be three movies and they're all going to interconnect. Mm-hmm. Like, out, out front, be like, here's the expectation.
1: Yeah, it is great that they do that and you do have those very clear expectations going into it. Um, some other characters I wanted to talk about, uh, Elzar Mann has a very great arc about a fight with the dark side. He's a very Anakin Skywalker-esque character. Um, a, a great quote is um, from... Light of the Jedi. To Elzar Man, what the Jedi were was nowhere near as interesting as what they could be. Because mm. Elzar is all about experimenting with the Force and using it in new and unique abilities and ways. Yeah, and yeah, that's,
0: that's someone who dabbles in the dark side. Exactly.
1: As, as you can imagine, the Jedi Council is uh, all against that. And so he, Elzar, grew up and was a Padawan with Avar and Stellan. And so they were all really peers and really close friends. Not a thruple, but Stellan and Avar were alluded to being a couple and Azar, Avar and Elzar were alluded to being a couple, but they're all three really good friends. I kind of get thruple vibes every now and again, but they're (laughs) definitely not a thruple.
0: Is there any erotic fan fiction?
1: I'm certain there is. (laughs) (laughs) And it's written by you. (laughs) Um, But Elzar has a very great uh, struggle with the dark side where he, um, you know, he, he has a struggle with the dark side. He, taps into these really dark emotions and he there are times when it's helpful you know the republic is under attack by the nile and he starts slaughtering them and it's like hey you're helping but are you helping like there are better ways to do this and that's what the jedi is all about and when that happens the jedi don't just banish elzar like they kind of would in the prequel era they send him to re, uh, jedi rehab and they Give him a hug. And they're like, I know that this happened, and that's okay, but <laughs> we're going to be better going forward. Jedi
0: rehab, I like that. Is there any chance that was
1: successful?
2: Is there any chance that, that was covered fully by medical? <laughs>
1: um, so he goes to Jedi rehab, and Orla Jareni helps him in Jedi rehab. And Orla was a character introduced um, books earlier in a young adult book, and she shows up in the next adult book as his Jedi rehab um, guy, uh, girl. Sponsor? exactly um, she dark side anonymous is a uh, Orla is a way seeker because she had an arc in the young adult book that she didn't want to follow the order kind of like Elzar and she chose to become a way seeker and just follow the will of the force instead of the will of the council which in theory should be the same but practically with politics and whatnot it's not always the same so she is uh, a Jedi way seeker but the force she felt guided her to help Elzar because she had a similar arc in her story. And she had a great line that, um, to Elzar that said, you go with the flow, you move where the water takes you. Then you're surprised when you wind up someplace you never meant to be, which That's is a, quote. a great quote in terms of like the force and a, a dark side journey with it. But also Elzar experiences the force as an ocean deep and vast. And it f- fits perfectly with that. And she knew that. Mm. And all these different story threads come together. <laughs> Despite from being from completely separate books and separate authors. That's cool. Stellan Gios has a great story arc of struggling with who you are as not defined by others. Because he, like I said before, he was kind of the PR guy for the Jedi Council. Mm -hmm. He uh, grew up with Avar and Elzar. And so he's kind of on the same level as them. But Avar goes on to be the hero of Hetzal. Elzar was denied the... He wasn't denied the rank of master as dramatically as Anakin was, but he's a very similar character to Anakin. (laughs) And they didn't give him the rank of master because they didn't want him to explore the Force in the ways masters can with the expanded access to Jedi archives that the masters get. Um,
0: They're gatekeeping the Force.
1: Exactly. But uh, Stellan does get promoted to the rank of master, and he becomes a member of the Jedi Council. And in Book 2, The Second Wave... The massive, each wave has like a massive incident. In wave one, it was the great disaster with the legacy run being sabotaged out of hyperspace and Haldo maneuvering a whole bunch of different planets. In wave two, it is the Republic Fair, where the Republic is hosting um, a fair, just like we have in our world, in order to celebrate the unity and expansion of the Republic, and the Nile attack it. And it's a massive disaster. They kill a ton of people, and it really puts the Jedi on their heels and... They have to really counterattack the Nile. But Elza, or uh, excuse me, Stellan is at the Republic Fair and he is with the Chancellor and he is tasked with protecting her just because he happened to be with her when the Nile attacked the Republic Fair. And then at the end, there there was a PR guy with them the whole time and the Hollow News got this really dramatic image of Stellan holding the Chancellor amidst all the battlefield wreckage and that picture really gets politicized and galvanized and it becomes a very famous image. And now Stellan is kind of the hero of the outer rim as opposed to Avar. And so mm-hmm. because of that, Stellan and because Avar is dealing with her obsession over finding the eye of the Nile after she also wasn't at Valo to protect the Republic fair. Um, Stellan relieves her of her command of Starlight Beacon. and He becomes the marshal of Starlight Beacon. And so he, but all of this is kind of, he's a victim of circumstance where that image of him holding the chancellor on Valo at the Republic Fair, it becomes such a big deal that like he's sort of a caricature of himself where the idea of Stellan Gios becomes so much more than who he actually feels he is and mm-hmm. it just keeps compounding on itself and he has a great story of his character arc is all about like finding out who you are, not who other people say you are. And... His story ends tragically with the destruction of Starlight Beacon in the third wave because he was the marshal. He was tasked with protecting it and he didn't. And then it's crashing into a planet because the Nile destroyed it and it's crashing into a planet and he has to uh, like hold, like manually, because it's all breaking apart, he has to like manually hold the positional thrusters to avoid it crashing into a populated city. So it crashes into an ocean instead. And there's a really great moment where The droid that's with him asks like, or he asks the droid, how many people is it going to kill if I leave right now? And the droid calculates and he's like 15,000 or some astronomically too large number. And so he keeps holding on and then it's like, all right, this is your last chance. You've successfully diverted it. And now it's no more than a dozen casualties if you leave right now. And he says, that's still too many. I'm holding it. And he sends the droid away and he goes down with Starlight Beacon and he sends his lightsaber away with the droid back to Elzar back to Avar and Elzar man. And he goes down with the ship and then dies. And it's really sad. And Avar and Elzar finally uh, reunite. And they're at the end of their journeys. And they're in a really, really dark place independently. And not to mention they are kind of a couple and they struggle with that. And now Stellan is dead. And it's a confirmed death because a lot of people go down on Starlight Beacon, but it's not like confirmed. But Hmm. he sent his lightsaber, which is as confirmed as you can get in Star Wars. Yeah. Bel Zetaphar has a great arc about trusting in yourself. He's a Padawan and his master dies. And then he, he was like, he's like uh, probably 18, like Obi-Wan Kenobi age in the Phantom Menace. And he's ready for the trials, but he refuses to take them because his master's gone. He wants his master to be there and he thinks he's alive. And then he finds out that his master is alive and that he was right. Cause everyone kept saying that he's dead. You got to move on. But he always thought he was alive, and then he was right, and he does reunite with his master briefly because he does indeed get turned to dust right after they get reunited. <laughs> oh. It's really sad. Um, but in Light of the Jedi, uh, Bell learns that being a Jedi is not about saving oneself. It's about saving others. He was trying to learn how to do a Jedi fall off a cliff the whole book where you know you fall off a cliff and you float down instead of splatting like we would. Uh, but he doesn't do it successfully until the end of the book when he has to save a child falling out of a ship. He saves the child and himself, and all the while the child was chanting, I'm not alone, which is like the whole point of the story for Bell. that, you know, Belle hugs the child and realizes that in order to use this force ability, it's not about saving yourself, it's about saving others, and that's all that the force is about. And so Belle hugs the child and asks, what's your name? And the child says, I'm B. But that's just what my... People call me. My big name is Balin. No, <laughs> Balin Skull. Which it's obviously not Balin Skull, ma- mainly because this child is a girl. But
0: <laughs> oh, okay. <that's>, Speaking <laughs> of names, though, I, know, I was just, like, I was trying to do math. I was like, wait a minute, how
1: old is Balin? That's just another good example of uh, Star Wars characters that have similar slash the exact name. <laughs> okay, all right. I wonder. You know what I'm wondering? If that is a thing that's on
2: purpose to say, even in this vast galaxy, much like our world how many people do you know that are named matt or luke or max i wonder if that is something that's intentional
0: there there is a quote somewhere i don't know who it was if it was george lucas or somebody else but specifically about the name antilles because there are multiple Antilles, Antilles. and they said like oh yeah it's just a common name
2: that's i mean i love that because like in any other media even in shows and stuff max we talk about this all the time where most characters you usually have a character with the only one letter right so it's like, oh, if in a group, all right, if you were to write this podcast, for example, Matt and Max probably wouldn't jive, right? You'd probably rename one of us because the, the M's are too similar.
1: Yeah. Yeah, anyway. I, I haven't wanted to bring that up, but I'm looking for a third host to replace one of you named, like, Colin or something <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Colin? Another character, Wreath Silas, has a great character arc of the courage to break out of your comfort zone. He is kind of the antithesis of Luke Skywalker, where Yoda says Luke is all about adventure, excitement, a Jedi craves not these things. But Wreath is the opposite. He does not want adventure or excitement. He is a scholar on Coruscant and he just wants to stay on Coruscant. He doesn't want to go to Starlight Beacon. He doesn't want to go to the frontier because there's too much going on. He just wants to learn and study the Force. But um, his master, Joramali, asks him to go and then. She tragically dies because he's a main character, Padawan, who has a master, and so of course she dies. So he does go to the frontier and has a great uh, character arc about becoming this badass Jedi even when you didn't want to be. Keeve Trennis is the main character in the mainline comic series. She has a great arc about becoming the hero you thought others were. She really idolizes Avar, and in the first issue, Avar, Chris, knights um, Keeve, which is really cool to see. She like... Uses her lightsaber to cut off her Jedi braid and says, like, by the right of the council, by the will of force. It's it's a really great moment. But Keeve really looks up to Avar, and then Avar has this dark side arc where she becomes obsessed, and Keeve has to, like, pull her back from falling to the dark side. And that's her idol, and it's a really cool moment. Keeve's master, Skier, who, Jedi Master, lug out Skier, also another example of characters similarly named, Skeen in Andor and Skier in the High Republic.
2: I also like that your Yoda impression is almost just Wallace Shawn from Princess Bride.
1: <laughs> Skier is a Trandoshan Jedi, and the they make a lot of comments about how you don't see many Trandoshan Jedi because their kind is of so about like hunting and viciousness, and Skier does not do much to dissuade that because he has an arc where he gets like this disease that shuts him off from the Force and cancels his Force connection. And so the first thing to go is obviously your connection to the light side of the force, because like a- on a Jedi journey, you first like get connected to the force, and then you have to train and study to become connected to the light side of the force and th- know the difference. And so he starts tapping into the dark side of the force because it's easier and more seductive when you're losing your connection to the force as a whole. And he starts slaughtering people and like acting like the everyone thinks Trandoshans should. And Keeve has trained under him for years when he was a-, a good Jedi, we'll say, and she has to deal with. That fallout and how he loses his connection to the Force. But then Skier is able to fight the Shriek at the end on Starlight Beacon because he's not connected to the Force. So they don't turn him to dust. And so that all comes full circle.
0: And I know this again from the comics, but one of the coolest things about Skier too is that he loses an arm like within the first issue or so and in the he's... book and it's already oh, gone it's in, in the, the first issue. That's it. Which and... is another
1: I- example of the stories all meshing seamlessly.
0: And he's Trandoshan, which is kinda like reptilian, and they grow their limbs back. And so like over the course of the book, he's like slowly growing it back.
1: Yeah, that's and cool. that's also a really cool arc for the or a cool beat for the comics because it's a visual medium and he gets um infected by the Drengir to try to like uno reverse card the drengir and be like i'm not trapped in here with you you're trapped in here with me and he Mm. lets them kind of take over him so he could take over them a little bit and it's it's a really cool uh beat but real a real
0: rorschach in prison moment exactly
1: but then uh the drengir give him an arm and he's got like a little plant zombie arm where his missing arm would be and so that was
0: really cool yeah that's right
1: uh the last character i'm gonna talk about is buriaga not because He's one of my favorites. He's probably one of my least favorites because he's very underdeveloped. He's the Wookiee Jedi who they advertised a lot because everyone would love to see a Wookiee Jedi. But they they don't put any cheat codes. So he only, <laughs> spe- he only speaks Tree wook, So you don't really get much out of him. It's just the way other characters react to him. No one can understand Tree wook except for his master who, main character Jedi Padawan, look out nibasek because she does die what's her name nibasek nibasek um she gets husked by the shrieker and uh bell zediphar is able to understand him and so by the third book they're able to like have conversations and you can see but the first two adult books plus the comics plus everything else he's just groaning and everyone's like oh he has empathic ability so he's able to sense the emotions of others which does come up in the legacy run disaster in the great disaster in book one because he's the one that their first their their first idea was to just destroy these fragments because they're gonna blow stuff up and then he's the one that is able to sense that there's people on board and so oh. they have to come up with a different uh tactic and so so,
2: so gunji is still the number one wookiee jedi
1: <laughs> yeah he probably is <laughs> although buryaga has a great um mo- final moments seemingly final but he goes down with Starlight Beacon because there are Rath oh. on board. And he sacrifices himself to fight off the Rath while everyone else goes and saves other people. Um, but similar to Bell with Loden Greatstorm where he said, you know, he's not dead. I know it. And then he was vindicated and correct with Loden. He knows that Bell, uh, Burry is still alive. And he can also feel him still alive in the force. So you think he's coming back in phase three? I think he's already come back in the t- trails. T- Tales of Light and Life book that I just bought today, but I haven't read yet. Mm. It's kind of a mix of phase one, two, and three, where they tell stories in every era. It's like nine or ten short stories. And I think one is about guess surviving. But That's
2: really cool. I love how, I mean, you're literally just waiting to see how this, co- the conclusion now in the third wave. Mm-hmm. That's, I love, oh, it's so cool.
1: Yeah, it really set up a lot of stuff um, to be explored in the final wave. Not to mention, <clears throat> I haven't even talked about the villains at all. And the villains are very, very interesting. It's called they're called the Nile, which is like the you know, ties to our world nihilism. It's similar to that where they and you know, ties to pirates, they Wow, well, I wrote it down. What's their motto? It is
0: They don't believe in nothing.
1: The Nile motto is take what you can, burn what you can't. So Ooh, they are They are vicious. The art of the High Republic book kind of talks about them and says they were originally designed to be punk rock space vikings (laughs) I like that Um, yeah and they're really cool they are led by Marchion Rowe who is a character who's um, a unique alien design which I already love he kind of looks like Thrawn but without red eyes he has black eyes but he's like humanoid and kind of blue gray skin and we don't know anything about him really like even all the way through all we know is that the this wave or this phase ends with mark yenro taking down starlight beacon and declaring the outer rim his territory and they have this technology that um was developed that you can take ships like out of hyperspace and so they like physically can't travel into the outer rim anymore without mark yenro allowing it and so he has this occlusion zone that he calls it and yeah, phase one ends with a stunning defeat of the Jedi, and the Nile are all the rage because they have won so decidedly. Wow. So, the, the story's really good, the characters are really good, the lore is really good. I highly recommend it, but the connections to the real world with the higher public is also something unique to this era because I have never really had a problem with representation because I'm very well represented in all of my content that I consume and it wasn't until I went to Star Wars celebration where I saw the impact it had on so many other people like the higher public has the first gay characters in Star Wars the first non first non-binary characters in Star Wars and it doesn't just have them but it has these characters and their story is not just that I'm gay or that I'm non-binary they yeah. are they have whole complete stories they're badass Jedi and it's not about them having these qualities about them it just they have these qualities and then this and that's a really unique thing it doesn't for Star pander Wars. no it does not pander
0: it's funny you say that because in the uh comics that i read i there were two characters and i forget their names but i believe they were technically sub- siblings but their whole uh, thing was like yes
1: Tarek and sarat they are uh, yes it's the
0: same name but spelled backwards yes
1: they are <laughs> they are uh twins they're Bound, they're bonded through the force, and through I think just their their life force is bonded. And uh, there were some pandering puff articles when they were introduced that they were the first non binary characters because they identify as they them, but they're two people, so they identify as they them because it was like they're literally two
0: people with like one mind because they can commune through the force, like they can talk telepathically, telepathically. So they were they them, but it's like, and it's a story
1: beat also that they're not non binary because. One of them gets husked by the Shriekeray, and the other one starts identifying as I, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, what about the other one?" And yeah. Then it's like he, and it's a very distinct uh, character beat, not because they're non-binary gender-wise, but because they're one or two, and that's the thing. But there's another character, Kansum Sai, who is non-binary, and that was the first like story I've read with a non-binary character, and it was tough because. They identify as they, them, and when you're just reading a book, and may- maybe it's just that I've not read books with many non binary characters, but when it, just, uh, when it talks about this character and it says they, them, I'm like confused. I'm like, wait, which people? Because like, you're talking about multiple people now, yeah. and it was really hard to follow, but I got along with it, and it also helped that it was a book because I didn't know what they looked like. like. I honestly had no idea if I would think they're more male or female, and so it didn't matter, and it did a lot for my personal growth in that respect.
0: I had a similar moment when I was reading one of the Aftermath books, because there's a character in one of the Aftermath books, that is, I forget what alien race they are, but they're neither male nor female, so they also had a pronoun that I'm pretty sure was just completely made up, but I forget what it is now. Um, but yeah, it was it was hard to read and <laughs> understand it like the first couple times, and then after a while I was like, oh, okay, I see what's
1: going on here. Star Wars breaking down boundaries. Another great connection to the r- real world is how relatable all these characters are, because they're not just jedi archetypes that are aspirational and kind of like perfect people i mean like i know luke and ray and anakin have these character arcs where they struggle with the dark side but at the end of the day they're all 20 year old extremely attractive people that yeah. you can look up to that a very s- distinct subset of the audience can really relate to but the audio uh, but the higher republic has so many different races and ethnicities not to mention aliens and Um, Gender expressions, and so that's great to see. We also have the fact that this era is made for every age group. Like I said, there are children's books, adult books, and that's a very important thing to make an era in Star Wars feel whole, to make it for everyone like that. Yeah, I love it. Admittedly, the High Republic does have flaws. I'm only going (laughs) to list the biggest one, the only one that's ever really bothered me. Because on my when I was preparing to go rogue here today. I was uh, rereading a lot of it, and if you're not reading it in the exact release order, it is kind of confusing, like Max said. if You do miss some story beats and other stuff. For example, in Trail of Shadows, the one about um, the Jedi investigator learning about the Shriek Ray, in issue three or four, he goes to Starlight Beacon and is like, oh, hey, Avar, and she's the Marshal of Starlight Beacon. And then the very next issue, she's gone, and Stellan is the Marshal of Starlight ah. Beacon. And it's like, well that seems pretty important and it was pretty <laughs> important it was like they talk it's a big story beat for like another comic and another book and there's stuff like that that's just hard to follow but did i talk about the Shri ray um nursery rhyme yeah mm-hmm. yeah i love that part um that that too it's kind of a weird part in the comic but if you've read the audio drama it makes a lot more sense
0: yeah i just read the comics and it admittedly did not make a whole lot of sense <laughs> After a while, again, with, like, context clues and stuff, you're able to, like, put it together.
1: Um, just a few more short notes that I wanted to talk about. That that's, that's the bulk of my review. You should go read it, but if you can't, I've gotten you up to speed enough that you can go into Phase 3, and you should, because it's going to be just as good. But in uh, Trail of Shadows, there's a character, Torben Buckets of Blood Buck, who... What? <laughs> Goes by the nickname Buckets of Blood. And he's oh, it's a nickname. Okay. That makes, yeah. That makes
0: way more sense.
1: Someone got lazy with the writing? No. Uh, he's a massive Shagrian Jedi Master. Shagrians are the aliens. Um, Masameda is a Shagrian, the blue guy with uh, the okay. horns mm-hmm. that was the uh, Grand Vizier to Palpatine in the prequels. Um, he's this like massive hulking presence, and he's the. Uh, He's a character in the Higher Public Adventures comic series, which also historically the Higher Public Adventures has been more for kids. And I was reading them because I wanted to have a complete. Um, I wanted to get the complete story of the Higher Republic, but the Higher Republic Adventures is just as integral to the plot of the Higher Republic as any other story. They really do not hold back. It's the first time you see Martian Rowe. Uh, you see his face. It's you get a lot of uh, great characters. That's all where most of the Yoda content comes from. A lot of people would. Go past those comi- those comics because they're illustrated to be more uh, child, uh, more gear more towards a youth audience. But the story content is just as mature and impactful as the rest of the era. But there's this character uh, Torben, buckets of blood, Buck, and he is a healer. He has this really badass name. He looks really menacing, and he got that name because he's a healer. And he's always like in these situations as a combat medic and he looks like he got ducked uh, dumped buckets of blood on him and that's where he got the nickname Hmm. and then at the end on uh, starlight beacon when it's falling he runs into emmerich Kafter, who is doing his investigation and buckets of blood had been fighting the shriek array and had blood spilled on him from them and emmerich is mentioning that he needs to get like some evidence of these beasts to be able to study and Torben Buck just strips down to his underwear, hands him his robes, and is like, here you go. You can go now. I'll fight them off. And then he goes and sacrifices himself. And the characters and the audience have such a shared moment of like, wait, what are you doing? Wait, what's going on? Wait, why are you going there? And it's a really fun read. And I love that character. He was like kind of a comedic relief and kind of a joke because of his name and his design. And that really came full circle in the end when he had a Funny beat and a very impactful and heroic sacrifice
0: yeah i think that was also in the comics i remember reading that part as well and being very confused
1: when, I he, think just, he's when my, he just strips down
2: my favorite character thus far to be honest
1: <laughs> i wish i could go into detail on so many more um but alas that's all i'm going to give you today maybe one day i'll go into go rogue about each book individually as they come but for now that's all i'm going to say High Republic is a 10 out of 10. For me, it's even better if you experience it as they're coming out because also the High Republic community is very um, exciting and large online. The mantra, we are all the Republic, is very welcoming and when I went to star Wars celebration and in person, it was a lot of fun being with all those people that are into the same thing, especially in you're like in a microcosm in star Wars celebration where you're surrounded by star Wars fans. And then in the higher public meetup, it's like kind of a hat on a hat where it's like all these people love this thing (laughs) you love and they love this specific thing of this specific (laughs) thing you love. And so it's just a lot of fun. It's a great community to be a part of the phase three starts November 14th with the adult book. Um, I'm going to be reading it. I'm going to be going rogue if you guys refuse to read it, but I think it's a great opportunity for a little book club. We could all read it together. You all are on the same page. I'm talking to the audience as much as I'm talking to Max and Matt. Everyone should read it. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait.
2: I'm excited, Luke. Thank you for walking us through that. We wouldn't we've been talking you've been talking about this through the entire podcast so far and i feel like so much more informed and i i, I again i keep saying i only read that one book but i do want to go through and read the rest and i would be very interested in reading the th- the the third part with with you in in real time i think it'd be a lot of fun
0: yeah i think i'm definitely going to go back and reread the comics now that i know all this actually because this this makes a lot more s- uh, sense in hindsight so that's mm-hmm. nice but let us know what you think. Let us know if you're going to uh, read High Republic Phase 3 or if you're already reading 1 and 2 or if you're going to go back and read 1 and 2 and let us know what you think. You can find us across all the social medias at Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, um, at force for thought
2: Do you want to do your Porky pig?
0: No. <laughs> I don't like <laughs> that you edited it. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna do your side off. I was waiting for you. No,
2: I never do the CS Sammy. Well, I'll see. You want CS Sammy in like two seconds I, as you're upstairs right now. I
1: actually have a force for thought that I wanted to bring up real quick. Oh shit. Oh okay. Um, it's not about the higher public, unfortunately. But I was just thinking, the Jedi in the Clone Wars are always deflecting blaster bolts, like every second, like yeah. s- six, 15 a minute. And uh, did no one? How many shots are hitting the clones? Like, why don't they have a shield or something? Because they're taking constant fire. Like, I know the Jedi are in the front line, but they're not deflecting all these. And we've seen the Gungan shields. Don't you think that would be helpful in the Clone Wars? Yeah, that would probably be super helpful. I, I it
0: just goes to the depravity of the Republic, man. These these, <laughs> these clones are meat shields in and of themselves. They they're are. just so expendable.
2: Something that I thought about, too, this is nothing to do with anything besides Clancy Brown is not only writer, uh, Azadi in, obviously, uh, like, Rebels... In Clone Wars, but he also then he's in The Mandalorian as Berg, and now he's also
1: in Ahsoka.
0: And I think he's voiced other people too in the animated shows Makes as well. A lot of sense. He
1: voiced uh, Savage Opress. Oh yes, oh, yep. he did. Yeah, that's right. Oh wow!
2: Well, I just I don't know, we saw him in Ahsoka we're like oh yeah why wouldn't he be in here? But it's like why literally why would he mm-hmm. not be in here? He's done like a million things already. Yeah. Anyway,
1: what a weird note to end on. Oh, well, you'll edit it so it's a little bit more flowy. Yeah, you'll just you'll just put the
0: sign off here, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: That definitely wasn't the ending when Luke said that. <laughs>